0: It's hard for me to imagine not loving dogs. But that's the way some people are. And it's usually pretty easy to spot someone like that. I remember one time we were visiting my parents. And of course we brought our two little Yorkies with us. Because they like to go everywhere we go. They are Lily and Fenway. And Fenway is a little guy, only about 7 pounds. And he's the social one. He just loves to meet new people... And, of course, he just charms everyone with his cute little face. Well, not everyone. This time, we were at my parents' house, and they had some friends of theirs over at the same time. The man was sitting on the couch, you know, everyone was just chatting. And Fenway just goes over and jumps up on that man's lap, just like he does with everyone. Now, if that happened to me, I'd love it, because, oh cool, this dog likes me. But this man didn't have that reaction. He kind of froze, he pulled his hands back, and the expression on his face was, um, okay, what do I do now? I just found it kind of amusing that someone could react to a friendly little dog that way. But I went and picked Fenway up and he was probably a little confused because that's not the typical reaction. But I understand not everyone loves dogs like we do. My guest today is Jacqueline. And she's like me, a big fan of dogs. In fact, she was working as a dog sitter. And she loved doing that because she got to meet new dogs all the time. So dogs were a big thing in her life. But there was one day when the thing she loved so much almost cost her her life. Real People in Unreal Situations There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby.
1: I turned around, I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it.
0: She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and
2: I go down.
3: Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire.
2: I swear to God, this is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life.
0: I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad, and then on with today's episode.
1: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential, Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds. Experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind, but there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue. That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must-listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of, Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of the Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you always loved dogs?
3: I have. Since I could remember, i basically just say I was born loving dogs because when I was young, my dad had a golden retriever and I was told that I would just sit up and stare at her and lay on her and I was about a year and a half when she passed away that ever since I saw her I was mesmerized by dogs.
0: I think a lot of people are that way. I'm a dog person too.
3: <laughs> my
0: my listeners may get tired of hearing me say that, but I just it's just true. I love dogs. So let's talk about when this happened, you what was your life like at the time? You were almost 22, right? What was going on?
3: I was just finishing up another semester of college at UT Dallas, and I'm studying supply chain. So I was actually looking for an internship because it's required to graduate, and it would be great to get that hands-on experience. I was really just focusing on school and my side job was dog sitting and I'd been doing this for seven years.
0: Was that as an employee of a company or just a, It was just a side hustle that you started on your own?
3: No, I actually started on my own.
0: How did you find clients for your dog sitting business?
3: It went anywhere from the word of mouth around town to the recommendations on the Facebook local group that we have, you know, people would post, "Hey, I'm going out of town. I need a dog sitter. Give me recommendations of someone you know." And so, someone would either tag me in the comment and say she's great, or um, I would just take that step and message that person, say, "Hey, I saw your post. I'd love to help you out and dog sit for you."
0: Yeah, personal recommendations for that are. Incredible because I mean, you don't want to just hand your dog over to a stranger that you don't know anything about. But uh, if someone has used you before and they can recommend you, that makes all the difference, I think. Exactly. You were hired for a dog sitting job for these people and you went over and met the dogs previously. How did that go?
3: I did. And this is just something I always do with every client. So it was what I call the required neat and great. And it went well. I met the dogs, I met the owner, and we discussed the routine and everything. And I was set to start on December 23rd.
0: And what kind of dogs were these?
3: Um, one was a Doxer titniks and the other was a German shepherd Another, um, I'm not sure of the breed, but that was not one that was attacking me.
0: So, two pretty big-sized dogs then. Yeah. Did you have, when you were there, did you have any concerns at all about their temperament or anything?
3: Absolutely not. That's what surprises me because they were so friendly and, you know, just sitting on the couch talking to the owner, they, were, they weren't they were doing anything that would spark a concern at all.
0: Yeah, if there was a concern, I'm sure you would have probably brought it up. Absolutely. If it was serious enough, probably not even taking the job. For sure. And you said this happened December 23rd. So it's only been, as we record this, we're just in January of 2023. It's only been a little over a year since this happened. So the job that you were going to go back and do to dog sit for for these people, was it just for a few hours or was it going to be an overnight?
3: It was going to be a whole week.
0: Oh, okay. What happened on that day?
3: December 23rd, I had just gotten back from a vacation with Nathan, my boyfriend, and his family. So we were discussing what we were going to do that night. We were going to do an early Christmas celebration with his family that evening after I checked on the dogs. And so I left my house, went over to check on the dogs, and that's when everything happened. I opened the door and immediately two of the three dogs attacked me. My glasses were thrown on the floor. My purse was knocked out of my hand, my phone, my keys, everything. I was actually trying to call anybody on my watch. And I just I couldn't because the dogs were on top of me. As things were happening and I was being attacked, I realized that they were literally tearing off my clothes. Every piece of clothing was off of me, probably within three minutes. I'm not sure exactly, but it was pretty quick. And then they dragged me through the house from the front foyer to the living room. I really was in and out of consciousness. Consciousness and I do remember being attacked. I remember the day for sure. But what I remember the most is just losing all hope of survival. And what I was feeling while laying on that living room rug was, I'm not going to see my family again. And I didn't even get to say that I loved them. And I don't know how much time had passed that I saw emergency lights reflecting on the wall as I was lying there and I suddenly you know stopped my excessive breathing trying to conserve my oxygen I heard commotion outside you know officers or paramedics I didn't know who it was but I just knew after seeing the lights that I was going to be rescued, because before they arrived, the neighborhood was completely quiet, and I I did not think that anyone was going to find me.
0: Did the attack continuously happen, or did the dogs mm-hmm. stop or get distracted by anything?
3: They did get distracted once. I think one time when, um, because the front door was left open, the Alarm triggered, and the owners got notified that the door is open, so they were concerned about the dogs, and so they called their neighbor, and she went over to check on the house. Well, I guess when she went to open the door, the screen door, kind of, one of the dogs attacked her, and that hurt in two places. The other time they were distracted was when the paramedics and police arrived. They were tharking out the front door, and they were less involved around me. I believe I am not for sure because at that point I was losing a lot of blood, and I just wasn't sure what the time frame was.
0: You know, with two good sized dogs like this, it would be difficult for anyone to defend i mean you had nothing in your hands you had nothing to fight with or anything but you are somewhat of a petite person to start with yes right so it was uh it was definitely an unfair fight at all were you how did you try to defend yourself
3: i was trying to screen and i i didn't know how loud i was screaming because there was blood in my ear canals. And so I I was honestly, it was like I was wearing noise canceling headphones because I couldn't actually understand how loud it was with everything going on. I think I tried to fight them off like with my arms, tried to pull them away from my face. Because once they were tugging at my face, I was really concerned and they were tugging at my ears. I didn't realize that they ripped off my ears that I remember them messing with my ears for sure.
0: I know in a situation like that, there's a lot of adrenaline and sometimes adrenaline kind of shuts out the pain. How much pain were you feeling while this was happening?
3: I was in a lot of pain. I did remember when when they were attacking my left arm, which got a lot of damage. I thought my arm was broken. Little did they know they actually punctured an artery. So I was just lucky to still have my arm and, you know, not have blood out. So I do another being in pain, especially when they bit certain places on my body that was very sensitive.
0: So the neighbor was able to get away and... She called 911 or did the al- alarm system alert police?
3: When she ran back home, luckily she could get away. She told her husband to call 911 immediately for a dog bite, and she didn't know my condition. So I don't think she knew. I'm not sure she knew whether or not I was there. I think the owners might have said the dog sitter could be there. And so that's when they, you know, the police and paramedics arrived. There's an investigation of getting me out and dealing with the dogs. So, yeah, the neighbors has then called 911.
0: Once police arrived, it was another, what, 30 minutes or more before they could get in the house because of the dogs. Yeah. How did they finally get in? Or how did they finally rescue you, I should say?
3: I believe they were distracting the dogs in the front and I think found a way to corner them, maybe put them in the kennel. I'm not certain, but I know two or three of the paramedics were out in the backyard trying to get in from the back patio. And that's how they were able to drag me out is through the back door.
0: And you were awake at that time?
3: I was in and out of consciousness that, yeah, I did. I I think I understood, you know, I was being put onto the gurney. I remember them talking and telling you to keep breathing. The last thing I remember before waking up in the hospital was being in the ambulance.
0: Right, because when you were taken to the hospital, you went straight into surgery. Right. What was the priority surgery to save your life?
3: They were trying to close up my face. They reattached my chin. There were a ton of wounds, so I know that they did a ton of stitches and staples, and you know, probably did a lot of MRIs and X-rays, making sure that I didn't break anything and that I was that there's no brain damage. The main thing was just keeping me alive, keeping me stable, because. I was actually resuscitated four times.
0: How much blood did you lose from this?
3: I believe I lost 30% of my blood. They put me in a medically induced Kona to help with the pain and also keep me stable. Especially because the my face was so messed up, I don't think they wanted a risk of the... You know, causing an infection somehow with messing with my face if I was in pain. So I was in an in induced for eight days. When I woke up, I could barely see and I couldn't hear very well. And because I knew what had happened to me, I did not forget. I thought that the dogs nested up my eyes and my sight and also my hearing. And so, I was really concerned that I think it was my nurses and my mom were telling me that you're okay. And they were afraid to tell me what happened because they didn't know that I remembered. So it was kind of a roller coaster of events at the beginning because my family really didn't know how to handle it, um, knowing what had happened and knowing the severity and not knowing how I would handle it. So I came to realize that my ears had sponges in them because my ear canals were messed up. There was scarring and contraction involved. So what that means is when something contracts, it tightens and closes up. And they were trying to prevent my ear canals from closing up. However, my eardrums were not messed up. So the main thing was just keeping my ear canals open so that I could still hear. And so that there was no issue with that. Regarding my eyes, there is no damage to my eyes. They had to continuously put gel and antibiotics in my eyes. And my eyes were very swollen. So I could barely see because they were swollen, but the gel did not help because it caused blurriness. And I did not have my glasses.
0: And so they were still swollen. And this was. Eight days later. Yeah. What's it like to wake up and realize that more than a week has gone by? Was that pretty Uh, freaky?
3: Yeah, it was because I was still convinced that it was still 2021 and I had no idea that it was January. And I think I was trying to tell my mom, I couldn't talk. I was on a ventilator that I was signing because I took. Sign language in high school for two years. So, ironically, I took a language that was actually helpful during this time. So, I was signing to my mom, you know, it's December 27th or something like that. And she was like, no, it's January 2022. And I was like, no, it's not. And it was just crazy to realize that I lost, you know, over a week since that happened.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning, it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science, and all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature, and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, dso one is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a
1: try. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1, Daily Symbiotic, at seed.com slash what, code 25what.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked, so when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day, I heat it for a few minutes, and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing.
1: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Hey,
0: this is Scott. Did you know we offer a premium feed of this show that is completely ad-free and there are bonus episodes? Go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus or just click the link in the show notes of any episode to learn more and to sign up. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can sign up right there in the app by clicking Try Free at the top of the episode list. And I hope to see you in the premium feed soon.
2: I got the news about the attack when I was at my aunt's house when we were planning on having an early Christmas dinner to celebrate with them. Jacqueline's boyfriend, Nathan. I hadn't heard from Jacqueline in a while, so I was hoping that it was just that her phone had died. But when her sister called me and was telling me that she hadn't heard from Jacqueline in a while, I began to be more worried because that meant that she wasn't at home or with her sister. When we had all sat down to eat dinner, my family and I, we We're about to start, and I received a call from Jacqueline's mother, and she told me that her and John had just been visited by the couple police and told that something had happened and that she was on her way to a local hospital. And from there, I got the address and went there that night. I went to visit Jacqueline in the hospital several days after she was admitted, and... When I went in, she was still in a coma. So I wasn't able to interact with her. But when I went in and saw her, her entire head was wrapped in bandages and claws. And it was really hard for me. I only knew what the plastic surgeon had told us at the time of her admittance on the night of the 23rd. And Going in and seeing her, I was distraught, but I went in and I took her hand and held her hand and I talked to her and I read to her and I spent, I think, about an hour and a half or two hours in the room with her. The memory is still very vivid with me. I remember how she was laying And I remember the sound of the EKG monitor just ever-constant hearing the beep of her heartbeat. And it was a very difficult experience, but I'm glad that I went in when I did and saw her.
0: As far as the extent of your injuries, you lost both ears and your nose and your lips. How did they break that news to you?
3: Once I was awake from the coma, they had already created the foundation of my new nose, and that was bandaged up.
0: How did they do that?
3: They took a skin flap from the Tahunai forehead and turned it around and placed it where my nose was, and they created the foundation of it. And it was a very flimsy piece of skin. And so there's definitely work to be done there that I had no idea that that had happened. And so to answer your question of how they broke the news to me, I don't think I processed it right away that I lost my nose. I think I thought that I had damage. And so I don't think I realized I actually lost my entire nose. Until I was probably in rehab in the hospital. So that was the last two weeks of my stay. And once my nose was uncovered and everything like that, that's when I realized, okay, that, that's new and that's different. And so I think that's when I processed it.
0: Knowing that you had so much damage to your face and your head, were you nervous? looking in a mirror for the first time
3: i was because after i knew that i lost my ears i lost my nose um my cheeks and my top lip was gone i had no idea what i was going to look at and what was dandaged what was still there so i was nervous but my family had discussed that they were all going to be in the hospital room when i decided to look and so they were all in there, and they gave me a mirror. And it was funny because I kind of made it conical. There was a yellow bandage on my nose, and, and that's the first thing I noticed. And so I said, wow, I look like on Sesame Street. Because of that yellow character, Sesame Street. And they just started laughing. And that's, I think that's when they knew that I was okay, because I still was trying to be witty and funny and, you know, trying to make light of things.
0: Is that how you often deal with serious situations through humor?
3: I think so. I think I kind of lean on that. Probably a little too much, but, you know, things happen.
0: Well, it's a a good coping mechanism, I think. Yeah. So they rebuilt, or they, they were able to take some skin from your forehead, put it on your nose to start the rebuilding of that. What's the plan for your ears?
3: We talked to an anaplastologist that my surgeon recommended. So we met with her and we found out that we didn't just have to start from the beginning from scratch with a random ear mold or something that looked more like night ears that they looked at pictures. So, what my dad, I think, had the idea of was molding my sister's ears and so that that um initial appointment we actually molded my sister's ears that day and so that's how we came to start the process of the ears
0: so you and your sister are twins in, <laughs> in a sense yeah or will be yeah we we
3: <laughs> call it ear twins
0: twin <laughs> I never heard of that before I didn't even realize that was one of the options for dealing with something like this that's a good idea though
3: yeah I I mean there's a ton of medical things that I hadn't never known in the last 20 years that I was alive but things changed in the last year I definitely learned a lot and I don't regret learning any of this because it's very good information I just wish it wasn't you know the circumstances.
0: You'd rather learn it from a textbook, right? For sure. <laughs> how has your sister helped you in this?
3: Her and I are really close in age, and so that helps a lot. But she has been, I rock through a lot of it. And, you know, we we laugh and, and hang out a lot. And we just have this special dawn that I don't know how to explain. It's really just... What I call it is um, sister's thy chance and best friend's thy choice because I'm, I'm just so lucky to call her my sister and be related to her. But the main thing is she is my best friend and I probably couldn't have gone through this as well as I did without her.
0: And now you have her ears, too.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for that.
0: Can you talk about what what's the plan for the reconstruction of your lips?
3: They already did the surgery in July of 2022 for the foundation of my taut lip and cheeks. And so in December, just last month, they also did the debulking surgery on one side of the skin flap. And what that means is taking tissue out that is no longer needed because they added a lot more than they knew that they needed um just to have something to work with. And so the next step is to debulk the other side and then you know there'll be shaping and and contouring involved but that comes a little bit later. The problem is, right now, I cannot connect my bottom lip to my new top lip at the moment because of the way I had to get my chin reattached. It kind of tied down my bottom lip, if you will. So they're going to have to go in in the next couple of surgeries and kind of fix the bottom lip as well as, at the same time, helping with the tautlet to kind of go further down. So eventually, I'll be able to seal my mouth shut again, and, you know, close it. But he told me that my muscle in my chin and bottom lip needs to be used a lot and exercised so that I can focus on making sure I can still do that once that surgery is done.
0: Yeah, it seems like it would be, the priority would be function, and then once that's taken care of, then appearance. Right. Is that kind of the way they're looking at it?
3: Yes, for sure. And my surgeon, he's so good. He is, I had a neck surgeon, and so he deals with a lot of face cancers, and so that's why he's very qualified to you know, do reconstructive face surgeries. And so I was very fortunate to meet him and be able to work with him because just a side note, my initial surgeon who was there for over a month of my hospital stay, he actually passed away after one of my surgeries a week later. So I had to get a new surgeon and that is who my initial surgeon is now.
0: I want to ask you about your boyfriend. Nathan, did you, when you first learned about your extensive injuries, were you worried that he was going to leave you?
3: I was. And I was actually upfront with him. I was like, Do you want to still be with me after all these changes and everything that I'm going through? And her, his response, I'll never forget, was I'm not going anywhere. And there's no place I'd rather be.
0: He had some health issues of his own. And you stuck with him through that. Can you talk about what happened there?
3: In 2020, he realized that he had a mass near his hip area. And so he had told me about it. And I said, okay, we need to get this checked out. So he went to his doctor and he got surgery to get it removed and kind of found out it was a synovial cell sarcoma which is a rare type of cancer. That was a really hard diagnosis because at the time he was 22 years old, we had been dating for almost two years at that point, and that was a lot to take in. I didn't know the prognosis. I had no idea what was to come. But he started with radiation and then... In 2021, he started Kino, and I was there basically every appointment that I could. I was doing online school because the pandemic, so that helped me the to be there for him. And I think that our relationship was just taken to a whole new level of comfort and support for each other.
0: What intense loyalty You guys have for each other. (laughs) Yeah. And not just Nathan, but your parents, both your mom and your dad and your sister, they've all been pretty big supporters throughout this.
3: For sure. And my mom, I'll start with her. She was basically my 24 7 nurse when I didn't have my home health nurse come because the problem was with home health, it was great because, you know, I had. A nurse coming out and everything. That was qualified. But my mom had learned and was kind of trained in the hospital how I needed to be taken care of, my wound care, you know, everything. And so, with her, I already felt comfortable with her, and you know, she's my mom. So it just felt really good to the old to get taken care of by her, because I've been taking care of by her for twenty three years now. So, it was pretty great, and she's the most down-to-earth person in the world. Um, my dad is a great support, and he's been such a great help with everything. We've always had a really special bond, and so I really cherish that.
0: How many surgeries have you had now in the past year?
3: I've had 18.
0: And do you know, have they given you any idea on when this will all be completed?
3: In the very beginning, they said one to three more years. So at this point, I would assume one to two more years of surgery.
0: Have you lost any friends because of this?
3: Yes, I lost one of my closest friends that I had since high school, and it really breaks my heart because we were so close, we would laugh all the time, and uh, we had a bond that I just didn't have with anyone else, and we just, I don't know what happened, but the main thing is I don't blame either of us for the fallout, I think. It was hard on both of us in different ways through the trauma, and I think there's just room to grow, and, and maybe one day we'll reconnect.
0: I've heard people talk about sometimes if someone gets diagnosed with uh, serious cancer, like terminal cancer, and sometimes the, fr- the close friends that they have, they never hear from them again. Which just sounds incredible, but I think people just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know what to say, and it's easier just to be absent. Does that sound like kind of maybe what happened?
3: For sure. And it's just so unfortunate that that's the reality of things when something really traumatic happens. But, I mean, even what I went through with Nathan you know, he was afraid that I was going to leave too. And when you have such a bond with somebody, whether it's a friend or a partner, you know whether or not you're going to be there to support that person. And I think I would just always want to stick by that person's side.
0: That's when you need people the most.
3: Exactly. And I knew that, you know, I didn't always have to be strong for him, but being strong for him was also being strong for myself. And I felt that if I could help him through it, I can help. We can all help each other through it. So I feel like that's how we got through it is just pushing together.
0: What's it like when you go out in public now? How do people react when they see you?
3: A lot of people, at least around town, they, they kind of recognize me. And they'll either come out to me and say, hi, how are you doing?
0: Because they've seen you on the news, right?
3: Right. And there was a local fundraiser earlier last year. And so our community came together and people got to meet me and talked to me and everything. So, you know, the people who connected with my story and got to meet me, they keep a close eye on my story and how I'm doing, which I really appreciate with this community. Another thing is when when kids around like maybe 12 and younger, they see me, they don't really know how to be sensitive, and so it's a little difficult to deal with because I'm an emotionally sensitive person, and I don't blame the kids for being insensitive because they're still learning and, you know, they need to grow and everything, but. I'll be asked something like, what happened to your face? Or what's wrong with you? You know, it just kind of catches you by surprise that someone says something in that way. But, you know, I don't blame the kids for that.
0: When a child asks you that, do you have a standard response? Or how do you handle that?
3: I stay very generic and I just say I had to have surgery on my face. And the main reason is because if they have a dog at home or any pet, I don't want them to be afraid of that animal. I'd rather talk to the parent of that kid and be like, hey, this is what happened to me if you didn't know. And I just want you to be able to explain that to your kid the way you want to so that I'm not the reason that you know they're scared of something.
0: Really, a parent should see that as an opportunity. It's a, it's a teaching moment, how to handle dealing with people in public you know to be sensitive about that because that's how kids learn
3: for sure for sure
0: have you gotten therapy counseling to help you deal with this psychologically and mentally and emotionally
3: absolutely and i am a huge advocate for therapy i was already diagnosed with depression and anxiety before all this happened so i was already seeing a psychiatrist taking medicine and everything and you know before that happened i was more in the boat of why why do i have to take medicine what's wrong with me you know things like that and that's a lot of people's mentality but i came to realize that just because i have some type of chemical imbalance doesn't mean that There's something wrong with me to the point of people don't want to be around me. And I did something wrong. That's the main thing. You can't blame yourself for something that you are born with or that you developed. So after the attack, I continued going to therapy. And I gained a lot of support because it was a certain type of therapy called ENDR and it's a way of processing the emotions.
0: You're seeing me smile. I've had several past guests who have been through trauma and they've all benefited greatly from EMDR therapy.
3: That's great news.
0: Yeah, for anybody that hasn't tried it yet, give it a try. It's it's amazing. Absolutely. December 23rd, 2022 was the 1-year anniversary of when this happened and you made a youtube video now a lot of people in thinking okay what should i talk about on this video could talk about all of the things that happened to you and how your life has changed and all of that your theme was gratitude you thanked the first responders the surgery teams everyone that really says something about your outlook on this
3: i i really just wanted a way of showing my appreciation because there are other ways that i was showing it and you know on my instagram lies i'll talk about it and everything but the main thing is i wanted something permanently out there to explain how i feel a year later and everyone who's helped me get through the last year and that was the main target is Who helped me in the last year get through this insane year in my life? And so, I think that was the best way to tell everyone.
0: Your outlook is so positive. Have you always been like that? Or did you learn that from this experience?
3: I was personally never this positive. I feel like I definitely dwelled on negativity surrounding me. and. My brain was telling me, you know, that's how things go. Your brain tells you certain things that you don't want to hear, that you believe it, and you kind of just don't really want to believe what other people say, like compliments or, you know, whatever it is, something better than what you're telling yourself. What I've learned in this past experience is I'm just so lucky to be alive, and I got a second chance at life at 22 years old I just want to live to the fullest because I don't feel like I was living to the fullest before I feel like I was kind of dwelling on something that I shouldn't have and realizing that I could focus on much more important things it really has helped my mental health because I'm happier and I'm helping others and it makes me happier to see that other people are learning from this as well.
0: Your nickname is Tiger. How did that come about?
3: I was still in the hospital. I actually still couldn't talk at the time. My dad and my sister were in my hospital room and my dad was talking to me and I would sign that because my sister was kind of interpreting for my dad because he didn't pick up on any sign language. So he was saying that I had the heart of a lion. And after I heard that, I kind of gestured to him like, no, I had the heart of a tiger. And when I signed, I kind of put up a notion like a claw and I signed tiger. And that he knew exactly what I was saying when I put up that claw so ever since then it was just kind of our thing of you know calling me tiger once it was established that I had the heart of a tiger and so my dad's best friend would text me every day and say hey tiger how are you and everything and so it just kind of became the thing so then I was tiger durand so now I'm just I just kind of I don't really go by that publicly. I mean, they can people can call me Tiger, but you know, answer to it that it's really just like a a way of seeing me. You know, like my logo has a tiger and it says Tiger Duran and stuff. And so I think that it's really just sending a message of I want you to know who I kind of am as a person without talking to me.
0: Someone that doesn't give up when when faced with a challenge, you're going to fight. for sure what's next for you finishing school career what do you have in mind
3: actually as we speak a week from today i will be starting school again after a year and i'm really anxious and really excited because i haven't really used my brain in an educational way in a whole year and so i'm really just excited to feel normal again, you know, being a college student and getting through it the way everyone else does.
0: Do you have plans for what you want to do after college?
3: I definitely want to get my supply chain management degree, fall back on, but I want to be a therapy dog trainer.
0: What's involved with that?
3: It kind of starts out as obedience training, because if a dog needs to be certified the therapy dog, they had to Pass the obedience training which is ironic because before this happened that's kind of what I wanted to do and trained for obedience and the basic stuff and so it made me feel really good when that when I found out that that was the first step of becoming a therapy dog trainer so I actually came in contact with a dog trainer who wanted to help certify me and so I'm currently getting certified to be a dog trainer
0: that would really be full circle (laughs) you know from being attacked by dogs to now working with dogs as a job but that sounds like it would be your dream job
3: yeah I've always loved working with dogs and I've worked at kennel and training places before I was never able to be a trainer there but now I just get to follow my own path and My main goal is to do in-home training and, you know, I'll definitely be mindful of the breeds I come in contact with. But I plan on either breeding dogs or adopting dogs and sending them out to people who need therapy dogs.
0: Any plans for doing any public speaking about this? Maybe writing a book?
3: I do plan on writing a book. I've actually drafted a couple of chapters here and there. So I do plan on doing that because I think that's the best way to tell my story in a, a way that people like to hear stories. Regarding public speaking, I, I would say that I could start doing that because my main goal when I am doing Instagram Lives is to help motivate people and, you know, tell them that it's going to be okay and I'm there for them, things like that. And I would love to have a bigger audience of, you know, saying the same thing, explaining my story and how far I've come. So I I do believe that I could start public speaking from the sixth year.
0: Well, you're starting with a big audience right now. That's for sure. (laughs) What's the main message you want to get out from this story to everyone that hears this?
3: There's a lot of things, that the main thing with the whatever you're going through, you're not alone. And I would love to be a person that supports you, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you're going through, just know that I'm in your corner. If no one else, I'm in your corner. And I hope that with all the strength you have in you, you'll fight through your pains and your issues that come up in life
0: you've mentioned Instagram you you're on Instagram that's probably your primary social media is that right
3: for sure yeah
0: okay and you've also got a YouTube channel and we'll have links to those in the show notes uh, for this episode the other thing is 18 surgeries I mean a lot of times just one surgery is incredibly expensive but 18 surgeries and still several to go incredibly just unbelievably expensive you've had a gofundme set up for you and so if anyone would like to contribute to that i'll have the link for that as well and uh, people can help and be part of your story
3: yeah thank you so much
0: if you want to see pictures of jacqueline both before the attack and after you can check out the show notes for this episode at whatwasthatlike.com slash 131. And I want to thank Rachel, a What Was That Like listener, for contacting me about a year ago letting me know about Jacqueline's story because she thought it would be a good fit for the podcast, and she was right. So thanks, Rachel. One of the questions I asked Jacqueline was if she had lost any friends because of the dog attack. And that might have seemed like an odd question but as you heard Jacqueline say that's what happened and it's unfortunately a common reaction Jacqueline was injured so badly and her life was changed dramatically if something like that happens to someone you know what do you even say how can you possibly help them with this huge problem they're facing Well, the fact of the matter is they're probably not expecting you to solve their new problems. They know you're not going to fix it. They just want you to be there. You don't even have to say anything. Just the fact that you're there is enough. It's your willingness to listen. That's really what I do here. A lot of the guests I have on have been through something really tragic or traumatic. And many of them have told me after our conversation that it was really helpful for them to tell the story. And what do I do? I just listen to them. I'm just another human who wants to deliberately sit and listen to them tell the story of what they experienced. And that's really all you need to do. That's what they need from you. So if you have a friend who goes through something really terrible, don't just be absent. Listen to them. That's when they need you the most. If you liked this episode, I've actually done several episodes about animal attacks. We've done stories about attacks by alligator, rattlesnake, grizzly bear, a shark, even a monkey. Just look through the past episodes and you'll see all of them there. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lai. And I highly recommend both of them if you need those services. And now we're here at this week's listener story. If you have a story that you can tell in about 5 to 10 minutes, record it on your phone and email it to me. You just might hear your story in a future episode. My email is scott at thatlike.com. And guess what? I have another bonus episode cooked up for you. So I'll see you back here in one week.
4: My boyfriend wets the bed almost every night. He has a kidney disorder and he can't help it, but he also doesn't do anything to lessen the damage besides wear adult diapers at night that don't work for him. We almost had to get rid of our couch and my mattress from a month's worth of damage. He's a great guy and everything's perfect except for this. He had this problem since he was young and he doesn't seem to mind sleeping in his own urine or going places smelling like it let alone having me sleep in it and smell like it. I'm almost always the one to clean it up even after asking him to do it, and all of our clothes smell like pee even after washing. I had to beg him to get the diapers, and he's too stubborn to buy a different brand, even though the ones he has just soak right through. When he doesn't sleep on the couch nine times out of ten, I wake up soaked in his pee, and every time I mention it, he gets defensive or embarrassed. I thought I could handle it because when I was spending the night at his house, it was only a few times that happened. But when he recently moved in with me, then I realized it's almost every night. I don't know what to do, and I feel like I can't tell anyone about this because I don't want anyone to see him different. And I love him, but this issue is putting me in a really tough spot. Uh.